You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Good morning. Well, if that music didn't get you amped to shift something, I don't know what will. Dun, 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 dun. Remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm listening. Alrighty. <clears throat> How are you all doing? We good? That's a little bit more convincing than what the first service's response was. That was good. I think there's about three people last time I had to convince them, are you good? And then I encourage them that even if the week has been horrible, that we can still say we are good because we serve a good father, a good king who has a great plan for our life and has us in his hands. So you can always say there's a little bit of good in your life or a big bit. <laughs> well, I get the privilege this morning to, um, <clears throat> to carry on our Culture Shift series that uh, we started last week with Adam Frost when he was up and shared a great message and yeah, it's really cool to be able to talk about this because I think more so now than ever, um, it needs to be talked about. And we're talking about a rapidly changing world um, and looking for those consistent things. And so I'm going to share a little bit about me first. And so I'm the youth pastor here. Um, I've been up here in Whangarei. This is my fourth year here. Man, that's gone quick. Um, and then before that, I was in Tauranga for five years. So I'm in my ninth year of youth pastoring. Um, but then I, did, I was a youth leader for years before that as well, and so I've been doing youth ministry for a long time. Uh, and over that time, I've collected a pretty good portfolio of stories and uh, experiences, some good, some not good at all, um, and some quite embarrassing. Um, I remember I grew up in Blenheim, so I was born in Blenheim and grew up there until I left high school and moved to study. And so in my uh, kind of final years of high school, I was a junior leader and I remember there was this one night where um, there was this kid, and he, um, he just got his restricted license, and so he was absolutely stoked. He's like, I'm restricted, so obviously he turns up to youth, he's just like, look guys, restricted license, woo! And then all good Christian kids would have said, sweet, you can drive us places, um, which you can't, that's illegal, youth, it's illegal. Um, I only ever did it once, and that whole time I was like, man, I hope I don't get caught, um, and, and then I asked for forgiveness afterwards. Um, but this guy was just like, all his friends are like, oh, you can take us, he's going to McDonald's or something like that. And he goes, no, I can't, I can't. If mom found out, I'll get in so much trouble. If I get pulled up, I'll, get, I'll lose my car and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, come on, come on, like, come on, let's go get in his car. And so they all started running to his car. So he's like, I've got to get there first so I can like, unlock it and get in to lock them and drive off. And so he's sprinting and they're chasing him. And so he's running through the church. And then he goes to go out the front door and push the door open. But what he didn't realize is someone had locked the door. And now these doors had big glass panels, big glass windows, and um, so he was running full force into this door, and instead of pushing like the kind of the, the wooden beam across, like the handle on it, he pushed straight into the glass, and his hands went straight through the glass, um, and both arms, just up there and up there, just the glass just sliced his arm. This is the type of stuff, this is a little bit gruesome, this is getting your attention early, um, this is the type of stuff you see in movies, eh? I just hear this, this like everyone just going, ah! like that, um, everyone but him, he was a silent, and I come out, and he's just standing there, and like, his arms are literally just like blood squirting, and he's just standing there, just like looking at me, shaking, but just like really calm, but shaking, and he looks at me, he's just like, what do I do? And I'm just like, bro, I'm just a junior leader, like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to do, and so I grabbed a few other leaders, and we um, grabbed like all of the church's tea towels, so they needed to get more before that Sunday, and just wrapping tea towels on his arm, like tying them tight, just trying to stop the bleeding, um, I was like, I think that's right, and I think, what do we do next? Oh, maybe we should put his arms like above his head or something, so he's just like standing there like this, like tea towels, like, oh, maybe we should get him a seat, so he's sitting down like this, we're holding his arms up, we call the ambulance, Five minutes goes past, no ambulance. We're like, I know they take a while, but how long do we wait? This dude's like starting to turn like really white. Um, we're like, screw it, chuck him in the car, let's take him to the hospital. So we chucked him in the car, took him there. 
And because I, I was there when it all happened, I had to stay and I watched them kind of like clean all the glass out of the, like, oh, it was disgusting. It, was, it wasn't good. Um, and so that was an interesting welcoming experience to youth leadership. Um, and then after that, there was um, probably not long after that, actually, bad run. Um, I, was, I was also running an intermediate group at the time called Empire. And, um, and this is back when health and safety wasn't a thing. What's a Rams form? I don't know. Um, and so I'm running this group. Uh, I was only like 16, and I'm running this group and leadership team. And so I had this great idea. We had this big hall with like a good size, like good height roof off it. And I was like, how cool would it be if the leaders are on the roof throwing ice cream and the kids are trying to catch it in their mouth? Like this sounds like the best game in the world. So I was like, okay. And then me being the good leader, I delegated the roof job to my other leader so I didn't have to go up. And then so they're up on the roof and they've got tubs of ice cream and spoons. I'm like, go. And they're just like, Wah. so the leader's having a great time just launching ice cream at these kids and they're getting hit left, right and center by ice cream trying to catch it. Um, the game went well. No one fell off the roof. Praise the Lord. Um, and so the, the team, the leaders started walking back and I told them, like, make sure you be careful where you walk and there's certain spots to stand, not to stand. And that was my health and safety briefing. Uh, and then we're walking and then one of the girls, Olivia, like, she kind of stopped to see where the others were and then she stepped back and stepped straight into a skylight um, and it was just like this thin perspex kind of thing and she fell straight through the skylight and probably fell a good 10 feet, if not a bit more, onto a lovely soft concrete floor with a thin layer of carpet like we have here. Um, now, I didn't see that happen but I heard the yells again. I'm like, Jaden! <laughs> so I run around, and here's this girl, Olivia, on the ground, just in agony, um, and she ended up fracturing two of her vertebrae. Um, praise the Lord that she is walking, and she is fine, and hasn't had any issues. It was probably about a year's journey of a full brace and, and rehab and that, but she is, she is good now, praise the Lord. Um, but yeah, another great introduction to youth leadership. Uh, none of this has happened to your kids, by the way. I, um, I've learned, I've learned, okay? You live and you learn, take mistakes as learning lessons, and you, and you don't do the same thing again. So stop asking me to throw ice cream off the roof, youth, okay? It's not happening. There was this one time we had a boys' night, and um, when it's a guys' night, you're like, okay, let's get a little bit crazy. Uh, and so we did this thing we called Double Deer, and we put all these deers together, and they had to roll the dice and the number related to a deer, and we had to go around town, and just silly deers, like we made some kid, like, go up to a fountain in town, like, wet his pants really bad, then Joe try to start conversations with random people looking like he wet his pants, like, just harmless things, but they were embarrassing, and and so I was like, you know, just little things like that, like go propose to a stranger, um, you know, go up with, you know, just little things like that. And, um, and so I sent the text out to the parents just to give them a heads up. We're going to be going around town. We've got cars and things like that. So I sent the text out saying, hey, we've got a guy's night this week. We're going to be driving around doing dares, um, but harmless dares, just little embarrassing things, but we'll be safe. Oh, uh, cool. Can't wait to see the boys there. About five minutes have gone past and I get this text from one of our main leaders and he wrote back, drinking, question mark? And I'm just like, what do you mean drinking? And he goes, your text, dot, dot, dot. And I read back the text, and um, I don't know if I got fat thumbs or if it was autocorrect, um, but I text all the parents saying, we're going to be drinking around town, doing dares. Um, so I just sent all these parents that they're 14, 13, 14, 15-year-old boys, I'm going to take them out drinking um, and doing dares in town. It's going to be a great night. Can't wait to see them there. So I was immediately back on the phone calling parents, texting parents, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> forgive me, please. So yeah, that was a yeah, that was rather embarrassing. I had this kid in Tauranga, and really nice guy, really loved him. But I think he had the agenda to make Friday nights as difficult as possible. He um, yeah, he came in with the the idea that the less he listens, the more fun the night's going to be. Uh, and it got to the point where 
there were nights where he was the reason I was considering no longer being a youth pastor. Um, probably weekly, I questioned if I should, <laughs> if I want to carry on with this because it was hard. I was still early in, so I didn't know how to deal with it properly. So my leadership was being tested, um, and I wasn't responding in the right ways, and and it was hard, and it was a it was a long journey. And I was just like, the amount of times I I said to I said to Mike, I was just like, I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do. And this went on for a long time. Um, but I stuck with it because his life hadn't been great. Um, and he had a lot of people give up on him in his life. And I said, I can't be one of those people. And um, three years later, I got to baptize him. And he was one of our key small group leaders in our guys group. He was the one answering the questions and running discussions and just bringing real biblical knowledge, which everyone, like the first time he answered a question, like word for word almost from the Bible, everyone just stopped and looked at them and was like, what the heck? Um, but I got to see this, this <laughs> long journey and this, this transition, this transformation in his life. And I learned then in that moment that what I'm doing in that ministry, it's a long game. Radical life change is definitely possible because anything is possible for our God, but you can't always expect a sudden change. Sometimes it's a journey but what you can do is continually walk to work towards that change and smell, celebrate the small wins along the way. So I think one of the most valuable lessons that I learned through my journey in youth ministry and as I continue to learn is that culture is anything you create or anything you allow. Culture will be set with or without you. And I probably learned this the hard way because if we're not intentional with the culture that we create and that we try and grow, a culture is going to still be set. And it's most likely going to be one that isn't healthy and one that's going to make things harder. See, we're all living a life of ministry and we are all in a place where we can shift culture. Whether your ministry is at the church or maybe your ministry is at work, whether you're the boss or manager or you've been employed for a week. Whether you're on a sports team or a board of trustees or in your own family or extended family, we are all in a place where we can shift culture and have the opportunity to reach, serve and influence people. There's a term that's been going around for a few years now, and it's becoming more and more common, um, and it shows that I'm a relevant youth pastor, uh, and the term is woke culture, or being woke. I feel five years younger saying it. Um, So the dictionary defines this woke culture, or being woke, defines it as well-informed or up-to-date. Being woke means being aware, knowing what's going on around you. So in other words, you're awake to social issues. Now, I definitely think that there's been some good come from this woke culture because I think there are issues that definitely need to be exposed um, and need to be addressed and need to be fought for. But what I also see is how easily this can turn. I've personally seen how fast the culture can shift and be swayed when emotions begin to dictate and control people's momentum and decision-making. Woke culture is so easily manipulated by this ever-changing world that we live in, and in those moments, people are like moths drawn to a light. So this morning, I want to challenge that. And I'm going to title my message, Woke Culture Versus Conscious Culture. But first I'm going to pray. Lord, let's pray for this morning and this message you put on my heart, Lord. And as we start to look practically about how we can shift the culture around us, God, that, that you will allow us to hear this message and hear your words in the way that we need to, that we can apply in our life, Lord. May we become sensitive, our eyes, our ears, and our heart be sensitive to what you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Quick drink break. It's always awkward. When do you take a drink in the message? I had someone, I listened to a speaker, and he, he said, well, I've got a maths equation that you guys need to figure out for me. So they did it, and he's having a drink, and then he finishes, and he goes, I didn't need a door, I just needed to take a drink. So maybe I should try that one time. 
So let's look at the difference between conscious culture and woke culture. The meaning of conscious is quite similar to the meaning of woke. It means to be alert or to be awake, but there is a slight difference in the meaning of conscious that I want to look at, and that is deliberate and intentional. I made a conscious decision too. How often do we find ourselves at work or in the supermarket and we kind of just go into the motions of the day, into the flow of the day, we end up just kind of following the flow of people and you just kind of go into cruise mode, into default mode and and you realize that like an hour's gone in your day and you're just like, man, what have I even thought about in that last hour? What have I done? Or what about when you're driving? I'm going to be honest here, it happens a lot but I haven't never crashed a car, so thank you, Lord. Um, how many times have you been driving, like roads you know well, and, and you kind of realize you've been driving for about 10 minutes, and you think to yourself, have I even been like focusing on what's around me? Like you kind of think, I don't remember anything from the last 10 minutes. Like I know what streets I've been driving, but I don't know who's been around me. I've just been so zoned out thinking about other things, like work and other stuff like that, that you think back and you're like, man, how conscious have I been in this moment while I've been on the road? Um, and it's so easy to kind of just, drift away in your thoughts that you're not actually conscious about what's going on around you. See, when we are conscious about what we are doing and conscious of our why, then we become more intentional in our decision-making and we are less easily swayed. The issue with a lot of the woke culture is that it's full of people that are ready to make a stand and shift the culture, but there's no next step to set the new. See, when I look at, look at, what, at this woke culture, I see there's a lot of buzz but not a lot of building. I see there's a lot of commotion, but not a lot of constructive progress. When I look at the woke culture, I see there's a lot of roar, but there's not a lot of reconciliation and results. To see a culture shift, we need culture shifters. But to be culture shifters, we need to be culture setters. And so this morning, my encouragement is that we need to be conscious, Christ-honoring culture setters. The other issue that I see with the woke culture is that there's a lot of outward opinion, but what it's lacking is a lot of inward observation and reflection. I believe that if we want to have an impact on the culture in our homes, in our workplace, in our sports teams, in our community, our first focus should not be trying to change and fix the people around us, but our first focus should be looking inward at our lives and how we present ourselves. You may not be in a position directly to make practical changes. Like I said, you might have been only employed for a week at your job. But can I encourage you this morning that you can still shift the culture where you are. You can do that by having a presence that's infectious, a character that cannot be questioned, values and morals that cannot be shaken, and a humility that doesn't go unrecognized. I want to unpack this thought a bit this morning with two practical steps, two practical things that we can do. Because if you think about trying to shift anything, you can't do it without a bit of practical movement. So this morning I want to look at two things. Firstly, choose a cheerful heart. Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up bones. Now when I lived in Tauranga, I did an internship for a year with Mike and Amy there, um, and then in the second year, in 2014, Mike's like, hey, we've got some, we've got some um, part-time hours we'd love to give to you to, to officially run our youth and our worship team. Um, but we've only got part-time available. Can you make something work with some other? And I was like, yep, definitely, keen as. And so I did that. And so I ended up getting um, some part-time work at a store called North Beach. It's a um, surf and skate retail store and and worked there for a year. Absolutely loved it. Um, And what was really cool is we had this, my manager, his name was Mike as well, so I worked two different jobs, two different Mics. A little bit confusing, but kind of fun, easy. I mean, you say Mike wherever you are, and they both respond, so that made it easy. 
But I worked there, and I remember in the interview I told him, I said, it's my first time meeting him, I'm in this interview, and I said to him, I said, hey, look, I've got a job that is my priority. I said, I work for a church, I, I do youth work, and that's my priority, so I need, to, I need something that can work around that. Um, and straight away, his response, it was really cool, because what you need to know is this, is this mic. I had passed the mic, and then North Beach mic, and this mic was not a Christian, was not religious at all, probably laughed a little bit at it and didn't think it was that important. But what he said in that moment was to say, he goes, I can work with that because I like employing Christians because you guys are more honest with me and you go further than the other people do. And I was like, well, that's cool. <laughs> it's not often you get that response. And so he said to me, he goes, yeah. He goes, I can make it work because I know that, I know that you're going to put in the effort and I know that you're going to be a good employee. Um, and so I took the job. Um, and what was cool was the girl that got me the job her name was Esther, and she was a youth leader at another church, and so she worked there already, and so she suggested, because I said I was looking for work, and she goes, oh, come work here, I'll get you a job, make it easy, um, and so she told Mike about me, and he goes, yep, cool, like, if he's anything like you, yep, and then I worked there for a year, then I was leaving, and one of our older youth boys needed a job, and I said, bro, get a job at North Beach, I'll sort you out, I'll tell Mike, and Mike's thing was, if he's anything like you guys, yep, bring him in, so he, he saw the difference, he saw the culture, and said, that's who I want working for me, because I know that they're going to be honest, and I know they're going to go above and beyond. There was this guy that I worked with, his name was Josh, um, and he was a cool, really cool guy. We got on really well, one of my best mates there, but man, could that guy swear. Um, his language was, was the most colorful thing I've ever seen or heard, uh, and um, nice guy, but it was just embedded in who he was, and, and, and after a while, after a while of working there, like, I, you know, I was always very open about what I did, and he said to me, he's like, I've noticed you don't swear, Jade, and I'm just like, well, you've noticed correctly, good job. Uh, and then he goes, is that because, like, you're a Christian, that, like, if you do, you'll go to hell, or how does it work? Like, are you not allowed to? Do you get told off? Like, will you lose your job at the church if you swear? And, like, he was asking those questions, and we had this big, long conversation, and then I kind of said to him in that conversation, I said, look, my faith and religion aside, why do you swear? I said, what does it add to your life? What does it add to your conversation? Why? And he was kind of, oh, I don't know, I was thinking about it, and he goes, oh, that's a good thought. And he goes, I reckon I could go a whole day without swearing. And I was just like, do you now? And he goes, yeah. I reckon I could. can't be that hard. And I was like, okay, if you go a whole day without swearing, I'll buy you lunch at our next shift. But if you swear, you're buying me lunch. And he goes, easy, free lunch. Okay, let's go. And I was like, yes. I was like, easy, free lunch. Um, <laughs> and so he was like, he's like, no, I can do this. I was like, cool. So I was encouraging him. Yeah, I reckon you can do it. Uh, two minutes later, I'm uh, cleaning up one of the racks. <laughs> Not lying. Two minutes later, I'm just sorting out some of the clothes, clean them. And I hear this lovely um, four-letter word starting with F come from my right ear. And then I turned around and look who it is behind the counter. Um, and it was my good friend Josh. And I said, well, that didn't take long. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, you just swore. And he goes, I didn't. He's like, yeah, you did. We all heard it. <laughs> and he didn't even realize that he had sworn. It's how embedded it was in what he was doing. But the way that I responded and the way that I lived and the way that I worked and, and portrayed myself encouraged him, got him thinking, and challenged him a bit. There was another culture that... I decided to challenge when I worked there. And because in retail, when you've got it, the store's quite big, um, and so you've got personal targets, and if you don't make your target, they don't fire you straight away. But if you're not making targets over consistent shifts, they start to question, hey, what are you doing? Because, you know, they want lazy workers. And, but there was this, this annoying culture created because someone walks to the door, and I go, hey, how's your day going? They're like, yeah, good. And then, and then someone's like, oh, I've already said hi to them. That's my customer. And I'm just like, oh, Sorry. <laughs> Or they, they would, you know, they would help someone grab a t-shirt off, you know, so I was like, okay, cool. So usually if you're helping someone grab a shirt or something off with the, you know, off the rack or up high or something, and you put them in the chain, you take them to the change room, it's like, cool, that's your customer, that's sweet, that's your sale. Um, and so I would often see 
people come out of the changing room with stuff kind of thinking, what do I do with this? I want this, I don't want this. And the person that was helping them is also helping someone else. So I thought, oh, I'll go be helpful. I was like, hey, how do you get on? Do you want this? No, nah, nah, not that one, but I'll take this. I was like, sweet, I'll put this away and put this at the counter for you. And I'm walking to the counter and this person's like, excuse me, that's my customer. Like I had them, I put them in the changing room and like, like I'm not allowed to help them because it's their customer. And it was just like, I just turned around and said, yeah, I realize that, but I also see you're busy with another customer. I'll put it at the counter for you. And if I have to do the sale for you, I'll put it under your number. Chill. You know, like I started to challenge this culture of just like, because it got, it got to the point where it was annoying and the customers would notice it. And it's like, how is no one else figuring this out? And so I started challenging it saying, hey, let's just chill and let's help each other out. If you haven't got someone, help someone else. Manager will see that. You'll see you're working. And so I started challenging these cultures while I was working there. See, while I was working at North Beach, I didn't hide that I was a Christian. I didn't hide that I worked at a church, but I picked up pretty quickly that not many of them were interested at the time. So I decided in that moment that I was going to let my life and my character do the talking. I would try to be positive when things were the opposite of that, the gossip culture in retail, my goodness. I would try to show humility and help those that needed help. I would work above and beyond what I was expected to do, and I wouldn't shy away from taking the opportunity to speak life or encouragement into my workmates. Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up bones. You see, because I made that choice to have a cheerful heart and a humble character, people started coming to me with their questions. Staff would eventually start coming to me like, hey, I'm going through this. What do you think I should do? They started trusting me because they knew that I would take the time to meet where they're at. Or often they'll come up and start asking me about church and what I do. They started showing interest. See, this wasn't because I'd start each shift by preaching to them. This isn't because I'd come in each shift and put a Bible on the desk and say, when you're ready to meet the Lord, come see me. This wasn't because I came in and blasted them with, with who God is and preached to them. every. It was because I made the choice to live what I wanted to see. It was because I was living the change that I wanted to see and the way I responded to pressure and negativity, it was refreshing for them. It was because I had a love in my heart and it was a good medicine for both them and for me. Proverbs 15, 13, the NIV says, a happy heart makes a face cheerful, but a heartache crushes the spirit. The message says, a cheerful heart brings a smile to your face, but a sad heart makes, the, makes it hard to get through the day. See, it's a choice, and it's one that we can all make. Emotions are real, and they are important, but we can't let emotions dictate our day, or are we going to let ourselves be strong enough to process those emotions in our own time and choose to be a good medicine for those around us? Making a conscious decision about our attitude and our heart for the day can be incredibly healing to the people around us, and it can most definitely shift the culture in your environment. The second practical thing that I think we should all do, and something that I've been really intentional with in my own life, is meet people in the middle. Meet in the middle. When I look into this woke culture, there's another thing that kind of frustrates me, and I see that majority of the time you've got the far left and you've got the far right. You've got this side and this side and this opinion, but what you don't often see is people being okay to meet in the middle ground. The amount of arguments that I see online on social media, my goodness, you scroll through, I have to bite my tongue slash tape my fingers together so I don't write stuff and think, you guys are dumb and you're missing the point um, because people are so fixed, like, fixated on their own opinion, opinion versus opinion versus opinion. It goes around and around the never-ending cycle of pointless Facebook arguments. My goodness. I read it. I'm like, why have I been reading this for five minutes? I'm getting frustrated. I'm not even involved in this. You see, people are coming in with this agenda to hammer their point across, but they're not willing to listen and respect that others are going to have a different perspective. See, freedom of speech is a big thing. And I believe that there's power and freedom of speech, but what people don't realize is they've got two ears and one mouth. 
James 1, 19 to 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's a verse in Proverbs 18 and it says, fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in airing their own opinions. God's the one that called them fools, not me. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> fools find no pleasure in understanding the delight and understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. See, the lesson that I have learned as a youth pastor is something that I have got wrong many times, but I have made sure to be more intentional with, is that to truly understand and connect with someone, you have to meet them where they are. I have learned that progress and life change is almost impossible if I'm not willing to start by meeting and accepting people where they are at. I can't expect a non-Christian youth to adopt the morals, views, and behaviors straight away. I have to realize that everyone is at a different point in their journey and some haven't even started their journey. I can't expect youth to fully respect and understand my decisions and expectations as a youth pastor if they don't know me and I haven't made an effort to get to know them. There's a saying that I've heard and it has changed my approach to how I run my ministry and how I do life with people around me and it is this, belong, believe, behave. Youth aren't going to listen to me and change their lifestyle if they don't, believe, if they don't feel that they belong. Most youth will remember how I've made them feel, but not what I've said. If they don't feel welcome, if they don't feel like they belong, why are they going to take anything on board? Once a youth feels like they belong, they begin to feel like a part of the oxygen family that we have here. Then that's when they become more open to hearing and believing what we say and what we preach. Once they become more open to who we are and who God is, they begin to believe. And then it's once they begin to believe that they will understand and begin to make life changes. Belong, believe, behave and I, I think that we often get these around the wrong way see it's a journey and some people will take longer than others and that's why it's important to identify where people are and who they are proverbs fourteen twenty nine says whoever is patient has great understanding but whoever is quick-tempered displays folly cut the team up please see what i love about this about meeting people where they are about identifying who people are and where they're at I love this because I see it all through the Bible in the way that Jesus lived. See, Jesus didn't sit in a temple and make people come to him. Jesus didn't turn people away from not understanding. He didn't say, once you know who I am and you're ready to change, you can come to me. Jesus went to people and he met them where they were. Jesus went into their homes. Jesus went to the well. Jesus went to their workplace. We are called to live as Christ lived. And when we figure out what that looks like and how we can make that, how we can apply that in our world and our environment, then it's a lot easier to stand firm in what we know and believe. And it's a lot easier to make conscious decisions without being swayed. It starts with us. It doesn't start with trying to fix and change the people around us. It starts with us and how we're living and what we're oozing out, what we're portraying, what we're showing, what we're sharing. From here, culture is what we create or what we allow. It will be set with or without us. As I close this morning, I want to share one more thing. Maybe as I've, as I've spoken this morning that you've realized that you can relate. You're like, man, there's, there's just something that's not right in my workplace or my family or my environment. And, and, and it's, it's back and forth you know, arguing with things because at this point and this opinion on this side, but there hasn't been a lot of that in the middle. 
And maybe you're called to be a bit of a seam. But then you think to yourself, actually, maybe my life isn't fully aligned with God and what he's called me to do. And maybe you feel like, actually, maybe, maybe I've been a part of this issue. And, and for me to really step into that, that role and take the ownership of being the culture setter, I need to realign myself with God. I need to reconnect with God. Or maybe you've never actually made that decision to welcome Jesus into your life, and, but you've felt called, as I've spoken, to be that shift, to be that, that difference in your environment. You think maybe I've got something to give, I've got something to share, and I've got something to help the split to change this woke culture to a conscious culture where being deliberate and intentional. But actually you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, I want to give you the opportunity this morning to make that decision and to know him. And I'm telling you now that Jesus is more than happy to meet you where you're at. So if everyone could bow their head and close their eyes. And I'm going to pray a prayer now and if we can all pray along as well. But if that's you this morning, whether, whether you know that this is your calling in your environment, whether, you, whether you, you feel this and you know this, but you think, man, actually, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm fully aligned with who God has called me to be and maybe I've, I've drifted away a bit and it's time to reconnect and welcome him back into my life to use me. Or maybe this morning you need to do that for the first time to fully understand who you are called to be and to have live a life with Jesus. This morning I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to pray along with me if that's you. Dear God, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for putting me where I am right now because I know that I can make a difference. Lord, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and my wrongdoings. Forgive me for trying to do things my own way. And forgive me if I've been a part of this unhealthy culture. Lord, today, I'm ready to shift the culture. I'm ready to be a culture setter, a Christ-honoring culture setter. Use me, Lord. I invite you into my life today. In Jesus' name. While every head is still bowed and eyes still closed, I'm just going to ask one more thing. If you prayed that prayer this morning from your heart and you made that decision, I'm just going to ask one more thing. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm going to count to three soon. And I'm just going to put your hand up. And this isn't to embarrass you, but this is for you to say, yes, Lord. This is the practical of saying, yes, Lord, that is me. I prayed that prayer, and it's so that one of our team at the back can see you because we just want to get a pack into you. We want to get something to your hands, and we want to be able to pray with you and, and journey with you. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to count to three, and I'd love you to be brave and put your hand up. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he has an amazing plan and purpose for your life. And three, if that was you this morning. Awesome. See that? Anyone else this morning? You've prayed that prayer saying, Lord, I'm ready to make a difference. I don't want to flow with this culture, but I want to sit in you. One more moment if there's anyone else this morning. Awesome. Well, Lord, right now we thank you and we celebrate those that made this decision, Lord. Right now we thank you for the lives that have been returned to you or that you have welcomed in for the first time. God, we pray for these people right now that you set them up to win, Lord. You put people in their life that are going to continue to encourage them and build them and journey with them, Lord. And I pray that these people that have made this decision Lord, that you will help them make a difference in their environment. Lord, that you will help them be that difference, that culture setter, that the way they live their life is going to be refreshing to the people around them. So Lord, we celebrate with them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.